sheets and uh, Bibles for you today. Um, we got pencils there too. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to drop one off at your seat so you can follow along with us as we work through God's holy word and listen to his voice. Really, that is how we hear the voice of our shepherd is through his scripture. He has given us such a wonderful and sufficient revelation that through the word we hear him speaking to us. We understand his desire for us. So we hope that you'll have that word with you, that you'll keep it at the ready as we work through it together in honor of the things he wants to teach us today. Well, today is the Lord's Day, and so it is our commitment. Our number one focus is going to be on the Lord, on the Lord's Day, and it will remain on Him, but we are also blessed to be thankful and acknowledge that work that our good God is doing in His servant, Matthew, today as we ordain Him. Matt had the great advantage of growing up in a family that worshipped the Lord together. Uh, Glenn and Cindy Sherman were very involved and still are to this day at Trinity Baptist Church. In Matt's formative years, he saw the living example of faith in them and in the members of that church and responded to the voice of the Good Shepherd at a, a very young age. As a teenager, the youth group that um, Matt was a part of had a need for musicians to help the worship team. So Matt, in a way, fell into that. You might picture one of those cartoons where there's a line of people and, and somebody demands that someone step forward and volunteer and everybody else steps back and there's one person standing forward still. So Matt kind of fell into that position. I don't think he was really looking for it, but the Lord um, used him in mighty ways in that youth group, began to teach him guitar and teach him how to sing. And so he was faithful in serving God in that capacity. And he enjoyed it. Over time, as he served faithfully, many of his peers began to see his faith in the Lord, his trust in God. And they began to ask him if he maybe had any plans if he had started to think about going into vocational ministry. And that wasn't even on Matt's radar, really. He didn't consider himself on that trajectory. But it began to make him think about it a little bit. It wasn't really until his youth pastor at the time, uh, our friend Nathan Morales, suggested one day after a, a youth event or a service that God might be calling Matt into the vocational ministry, that he began to ask God in prayer, is this your will for my life? Is this possibly what you have in store for me? And uh, when you ask God questions like that, expect big answers. Uh, the Lord began to use him in more and more ways. He began to open doors of opportunity to use his gifting, first at Trinity Baptist Church and then later at Cal Baptist University and at, that at an internship that he spent in Bridgeport, which is a really special town to his family. He began to see God using him in strong and mighty ways, he began to understand the calling that God had put on his life. While Matt has a clear gifting in music, he has also been growing in many other important areas. He's been growing in his teaching. He's been able to preach a few times here at First Family, many times in the, the youth group, and also lead some of our Bible studies that we do over on the public school campus uh, at Sutter Elementary. He's been really gaining in his ability to exposit the Word and to teach to others. He's been growing in areas such as counseling, being able to work through conflicts with people in the body of Christ and bring unity to help people to see what parts of Scripture were given to them by God to help them through their, their struggles and their hardships. He's been able to grow in helping with the sacraments and helping with uh, the, the work that elders do in administration and in coordination and overseeing the body of Christ. In so many different ways, God has been building this man up and making him stronger and wiser. And so, Matt, we are happy to be a part of that process 
that God has used to make you the young man that you are today and will continue to use for the rest of your life to strengthen you and to make you a man who is holy and set apart for the work that He has called you to do. And so we're going to spend some time uh, at the end of the service today honoring God's work in Matt. But first, the charge. And the charge is uh, a sermon that is preached to a candidate for um, pastor elder service uh, that helps to point them in the right direction, that reminds them what they have been called to do. And of course, this is a Sunday morning, so it's also an encouragement to you as the body of Christ to consider your role that you play in God's church and how you might appreciate Him and His leadership in your life and how you might use the gifting that God has given to you uh, to bless His kingdom. One of my greatest uh, frustrations as a man is the humbling fact that I'm not able to perfectly meet the needs of the people that I love. I don't know if any of you other men in this room struggle with that, but I like to be a provider. I like to solve problems. And right now, at this very moment, my five blonde-headed baby boys are sprawled across the Neves home with 101 degree temperatures struggling with fever. And for the last week or so, various ones of them have been uh, red-eyed and achy and exhausted and tired. And as I look at those poor little children, I wish that I had magical daddy powers where I could just wave my hand over the situation and I could make things better. But one of the things that God teaches us through parenthood is that we don't have all the answers for the ones that we love. We are limited in our capacity to minister to the needs of those around us. There are a few things more frustrating than seeing a real need and not being able to meet that need. Our weakness, while it does frustrate us, it can make us angry, it can humble us, it's actually, in sometimes in some ways, a wonderful gift from the Lord. Because as we see our inability to do what we so desperately want to do, we see that we fall short and we can't achieve what we have in our mind and hearts to achieve, we're more apt to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ, to look upon God's Son, the Holy One, who is able to do perfectly everything that is needed to meet the needs of the ones that He loves. So if we are humble and willing, we can see our shortcomings, we can see our limitations as a fuel to love Christ better and to depend upon Him more. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 to start off with today. We're going to be working out of two passages in the New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 9 as we look at the one who is able to perfectly meet every need. Here in verses 35 through 38, we're seeing that Jesus is traveling through various villages in the countryside. He's been ministering. He's been performing wonderful signs. And as he goes out amongst the people, he's going to make an evaluation. He's going to look at them earnestly and we're going to get to see a picture of the heart of the Son of God. So in chapter 9 of Matthew, we look in verse 35 and we see, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
What is so sad about sheep without a shepherd? There is another name that we can use to describe sheep that have no shepherd. Lunch. Sheep that have no shepherd are sheep that are lacking protection. They are sheep that have no one to look out for their needs. Bears, wolves, several other predators, anything with sharp teeth over 50 pounds is a threat to a sheep in the day of Jesus in that environment where shepherding was such a big economy. Sheep are not naturally gifted as a species. They don't have much in the way of brains. They don't have much in the way of defenses. They can't think themselves out of a problem, but they can't fight their way out of it either. The best defense they have is their thick wool, which makes it difficult for their opponents to bite into their flesh. But they have no talents. They have no sharp teeth of their own. They have no speed. Have you ever seen how a deer is so brilliantly designed? You look at their beautiful speckled coat and they can walk into a wooded brush and lay down and just perfectly blend into the environment to such a degree that the predator can't even see that they're there. Not so the fluffy little sheep, right? Stark white, they stand out in the crowd. It's almost as if they're saying, I'm here, eat me. Sheep are not designed to survive without help. They don't even have camouflage. They are easily harassed. They are helpless to defend themselves. They are subject to illogical behavior. Sheep are emotional creatures. They are easily startled and sometimes they react without thinking. Startled sheep have been known to just run right off of a cliff to their death because they're trying to escape a fear that is not even real. They run right into a real fear. They, they, they destroy themselves. They are a near constant threat of danger because of simply who they are and what they are. Spiritually speaking, people are like sheep who are also in need of a good shepherd. Human beings are in many ways defenseless. We are not naturally wise in the things of God. And so people are in many ways easy targets for the spiritual forces of darkness and temptations of sin. The church suffers today in many places because the people of God do not have faithful shepherds who have committed their heart, mind, soul, and strength to loving God first and to loving God's people second. They're not looking after those who are called by God to be a part of the people of God. They're not protecting them from false teachers. They're not looking out for their tendency to sin and gently correcting them as we talked about in Galatians chapter 6 just a few weeks ago. The church will grow in strength if we can raise up godly men to be shepherds over the sheep of God to direct them, to keep them from peril, to help them grow in wisdom so they don't act as sheep who are so easily startled and react to the world rather than reacting to the love of God. Matt, as you live out the calling that has been put before you, you must seek to have the same heart of compassion that God has for His people. As God looked upon His people, as God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, walked from village to village. He saw these people conducting their lives. He saw the state of their hearts and their minds and He loved them. He had a compassion for them. He knew that without the right guidance, they were spiritual sitting ducks. To be a faithful shepherd, you're going to need to love these sheep as Jesus did. To have a deep desire 
to meet their needs, even if it costs you something to be there for them. You might ask, now this is a confusing scripture. Didn't the people have some shepherds? Why is Jesus so concerned for these people if they did have priests and they had scribes who kept careful track of the law and they had Pharisees that were religious, um, religious performers who knew how to follow the law and would even add laws to the law? Didn't they have some sheep shepherd or some, some uh, shepherds shepherding them? Now, there were certainly some strong examples of men who served as shepherds throughout the course of Israel's history. Moses, of course, led the Israelites out of their Egyptian slavery. He delivered God's people from the grip of Egypt. And he also delivered to God's people the law, the covenant that would define their relationship with God for generations. Ezra reoriented the people of exile to the Mosaic Covenant that they had by and large neglected and forgotten about. We see Nehemiah being an example of one who shepherded the people of God to a noble effort of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that had been destroyed when God allowed Babylon to come and defeat God's holy city. So we do have some examples of, of godly people who did some shepherding work amongst God's own. All faithful to the Lord, but none perfect in their leadership, and none enough to truly guard the hearts of God's people. Other men who had tried to shepherd Israel had not done as good a job as the three I just mentioned. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1-6, through 6, the prophet gives us a heartbreaking example of what happens when people don't have their focus on God, and yet they are called to shepherd the flock of God. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought out, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My shepherds were scattered they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And I can't help but think that as Jesus walked through those villages and saw the state of Israel, His people, that their lack of commitment to the Lord God, their, their mishandling of the Old Testament Scriptures, their lack of zeal and passion for holy and eternal things, reminded him of this preaching in Ezekiel. By Jesus' time, the priests and Pharisees, who should have been the protectors of Israel, the shepherds that guided them to safety and strengthened them with spiritual nourishment, were instead, by and large, a spiritually counterfeit leadership. They weren't truly taking care of the people of God. The Pharisees are described like a cup 
the outside of which is polished and sparkling, perfectly clean. To the outside world, they looked like holy men, but inside of the cup, you find filth and dirtiness. Hearts that are not submitted to the Lord truly. Deception and corruption. Much like the, the shepherds of Ezekiel, instead of taking care of the flock, they were taking advantage of the flock. Instead of being a blessing to them, they were drawing from the resources of the flock without care for their heart for their soul, for their wisdom. And so we need to see an example of a better shepherd. The men who are called to shepherd don't always live up to that standard. And if they desire to do a good job, as I know Matt desires to do, then they're going to have to put their eyes on the good shepherd. So if you'll turn with me now to the book of John, chapter 10. One of the wonderful things about Jesus is that he does not just see a need and take note of it. He doesn't just complain about the state of Israel. He doesn't just have sadness for them. But that sadness causes him to react. He meets that need. Having had compassion on the people for their lack of direction and protection, Jesus presents the one real solution. And we find it here in John chapter 10. We're going to begin reading verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He personally meets the needs that He sees in His people. Everything that is lacking among the sheep, wisdom and order, security, direction, holiness, this good shepherd provides for them abundantly. He is the faithful and strong leader of the sheep that are rightfully his. And anyone who would share his compassion for the lost sheep of the world would do well to pay close attention to Christ's lead as he cares for and leads the ones that he so dearly loves. We see here from verse 12 that not all shepherds are good shepherds. A little historical context is useful. It was a common practice in the grazing lands that surrounded the holy city of David, Jerusalem, for a shepherd who had been with his sheep for quite some time and who needed a break from that, who wanted to go and stay in the city with his family for a time, it was common practice for them to enlist the help of a hired sheep. This fill-in would look after his flock while he spent a night back in the city, back with his family. And that was sometimes risky. If you did not have another shepherd that you trusted and that you knew, 
these pseudo-shepherds, these substitute shepherds, were not always very reliable. A good shepherd takes care of his sheep because the well-being of the sheep is of utmost importance to him. But the hireling does not properly own the sheep under his care. There is not much personal investment in them. So if a real threat comes, there is not much keeping that hired hand from counting his own safety as more important than the safety of someone else's sheep. Rather than risk themselves, these pseudo-shepherds were prone to abandon the flock in their time of need. They were prone to let the sheep down when they needed protection and security most. I have a background in automobile mechanics. And people will sometimes say, I'm, I'm looking for a car, what should I do? Where should I go? And sometimes they say, I, I see that there's this, this auction where this rental company is selling off some of their old fleet. And I always say, look the other way. Don't buy a rental car. Why? Because people don't own the rental car, right? The people who drive the car and use the car have very little invested in the car. And now that you can pay $12 insurance that just covers the whole shebang of the car, there's not a whole lot of motivation to take care of that vehicle. So if you go and you buy a rental car that's retired from the fleet, chances are the people who drove it, drove it hard and put it away wet. And that is in some ways how these pseudo-shepherds were dealing with the sheep. They didn't have a love for the sheep. They were not their own sheep. And so if it began to get difficult, and sometimes it did, if it began to get dangerous, sometimes it did. If a bear wandered in and began to threaten the flock, they might quickly assess that situation and say, this is not worth the fee that that true shepherd is paying me. I'm out of here. I'm going to look after number one. The good shepherd, in contrast to the hireling, values the sheep to a much higher degree than the hireling ever could. If the sheep are lost, the truly good shepherd feels that loss the most because they are his own sheep. They belong to him. And what makes him a good shepherd? What sets him apart? What, what really shines in, in his service to these sheep? I want to share three things from the passage that we read today. First of all, we see it in verse 11. The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's exactly what he does. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. No matter what the risk, no matter what dangerous predator or treacherous condition he must face, the good shepherd puts the safety of his flock before his own personal safety. As the good shepherd, Jesus assumes responsibility for all the needs of his sheep. And here is where we come to understand that the good shepherd can do what no one else can do. Jesus literally gives himself for his sheep. I can't stress this enough. The sheep have many needs. But there is one in particular that the good shepherd is concerned about. And that is sin. Throughout the world, we're, we're seeing pictures of the gospel that are only a partial picture of the gospel. We're seeing people who are preaching the need for Jesus because Jesus can make your life here on earth better. Can he? Yes. A sheep that has a good shepherd absolutely will be blessed by that shepherd. It will help them as they walk through life but the, the greatest gift that the shepherd gives to the sheep is not just a more comfortable existence. 
People often make the mistake of thinking they need God to be their shepherd, but for all the wrong reasons. If I have Jesus, He can make my life easier. He can give me peace and comfort. He can help me be successful and happy, but there is a much greater threat to us than unhappiness. There is a much greater threat than discontent. All of us enter into this world not as children of God, but as enemies of God. Do you know that the, pre- the Scripture preaches that to us? That when we are born, we are born with this condition called a sinful nature. And that sinful nature means that as we enter into this world that we were, that we were brought into to bear the image of God and we enter as re- rebellious enemies of God, that we fight against His will, we fight against His way. In order for us to belong to the Good Shepherd, Jesus must do what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus must make us good. He must put a righteous into us that is alien to us, that is not natural to us. We all sin, and the wages of sin is death. Because God is the one who gives life. God is the one who has the right to take that life away. And those who refuse to embrace God as king, those who refuse to trust in Jesus Christ, have no claim to their life. But when Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, meets their need, the sin that made them an enemy to God can be defeated and washed away eternally. There is no sacrifice that you and I can make that is enough to secure our place in the fold of God. But the good shepherd sees our need and he proactively meets that need. He entered into the world. God, eternal, took on flesh and lived in a human body. He dwelt in many of the same ways that we dwell. He lived, he breathed, he slept, he ate, he slept, he experienced fatigue, he slept. You, you understand how much important sleep has to me? <laughs> I love sleeping. And Jesus slept, he slept like us. He, 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 he cared for his sheep. He took on that human flesh, not only to be a good example to us, but so that he might fulfill the law of God. Knowing that God is a God of justice, a God who must rightfully punish sin, he made himself pure. He he took every law that God had given to man and he fulfilled it perfectly in every action and every thought and in every desire of his heart. Jesus lived perfectly, but not just to show us what it looks like. He lived perfectly so that he could offer himself as a pure and spotless worthy sacrifice for our sins. I want you to note the irony here. What are sheep in the Hebrew economy supposed to do? Sheep fulfill three major needs to the Jewish economy of Jesus' day. They provide wool. Wool was important for textile production. They made clothing out of wool. It helped them to stay warm. It helped to prevent them from uh, being damaged by the environment. They also provided meat. They could be slaughtered to be eaten, to be a nourishment to the people. But the, the function and use of sheep that is most closely identified with the Hebrew people, sheep were the sacrifices. Sheep were the sacrifices that God had called His people to come and bring into the temple and offer up as, as a symbol to show that they saw the weight of their sin. To, to help them to see and to realize the weight of their rebellion against God. When they brought a sheep into the temple and they offered it up, they saw the life of that sheep go away as it was sacrificed for them. They recognized that their sin deserved the kind of death that that sheep was experiencing. 
They understood that apart from a substitutionary sacrifice, they had to pay that penalty for, for their sin themselves. And every one of those sheep and goats and, and oxen that were offered up in the temple over many, many generations of people being faithful to God and to the Mosaic Covenant, each one of them pointed forward to the one sacrifice that would really matter. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, acts as the pure sheep. He humbles himself and does what the inferior should have to do. He goes and gives his life on the cross at Calvary. Jesus Christ, we know, lived a perfect life. We know also that he took that perfect life and put it on display for the world to see. And that men who were opposed to Jesus and the work that he did accused him of sin from jealousy, thinking of him as a threat to their authority. They accused him of blasphemy. He did not defend himself. Though he was innocent, he allowed himself to be crucified so that those who deserve to die would not have to die eternally. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep, literally. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus adds very important details to his sacrificial act by telling us that he voluntarily gives up his life for the sheep. It was not taken from him, but it was an act of love. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, speaking of his resurrection. This charge I have received from my Father. This is an act of intentional love on behalf of Jesus. And as we're giving special attention to Matt's ordination today, we will talk about the shepherd's helper, about what a pastor proper today is supposed to do, how he is supposed to live. But be clear on this. The helper is nothing to the sheep if the sheep do not have the good shepherd. Yes, Matt, I preach this charge in part for you today, but just as every sermon must rightly point towards Christ, we lay the foundation of a pastor's potential impact by putting our eyes and our hearts upon the one good shepherd. Ministry performed in any other name is of no value. Ministry that does not have Jesus Christ as its focus falls short of what God intends for it. To take, charge, to take the charge of ministry is to promise that you will constantly herd other people towards the Good Shepherd, the one who is able to truly lay his life down for their benefit. Matt, those of us who have been called to the ministry to be assistants to the Good Shepherd must be willing to lay their lives down for the sheep. That might not be required of you literally, but as we faithfully serve God, we sacrifice daily to meet the needs of His people. We will need to value the people of God as the Lord values them, not as hirelings who view their calling simply as a vocation, but as a calling, a holy instruction from God, a holy responsibility to be a living sacrifice for God's church. The Lord, who will assist in looking after those who belong to Him and who will continually meet not just their apparent needs, but their more important spiritual needs as well. That's got to be our heartbeat as ministers. So Jesus is the good shepherd, better than the hireling, because he lays down his life for the sheep. And secondly, better than the hireling, because the good shepherd knows his sheep, and they know him. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. The Good Shepherd displays His love 
for those that belong to Him by knowing them completely. He knows their fears. He knows what makes them anxious. He understands their needs. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, do not worry about what you will wear. For notice how God clothes the lilies of the field. How much more important are you to God than they? Do not worry about what you will eat because the ravens of the field, they don't toil in the fields and yet they are fed. How much more important are they? And the Lord your God knows that you need these things. He understands the deficits that we have. He knows the limits of humankind. He knows our habits. He knows the patterns that we struggle to break free from. He knows our hearts. Too many pastors today have bought into the business model of ministry and have begun to see themselves as upper church management. Rather than as true shepherds, they content themselves to simply pour into a key group of leaders, but they aren't doing the work of being amongst the flock of God, of truly knowing them so that they might love them well. We cannot embrace that if we want to be like the good shepherd. He knew his sheep. He spent time with them. He interacted in their lives. We see example after example after example of Jesus being near to those he was ministering to, inviting them into the place where he was staying or going into their homes and interacting regularly. And this must be a pattern that we as ministers of the gospel follow. It must be a pattern that every Christian desires to follow too. That we would care enough about the lost that we would seek to get to know them, church. That we would care for their needs. We can't afford to see ourselves as the us versus them where we shelter ourselves from the world and we build big walls and keep them out and never interact with them because our commission doesn't allow that. The great commission of God says that we are to be making disciples of the people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that God has commanded through Christ. And we cannot do that if we shelter ourselves off from this world. We must get to know the people that are around us. And this takes time. This means that a minister who follows after the pattern of Jesus will have less time for personal leisure and hobbies because it's going to take a personal investment for us to get to know God's sheep well. That's a hard calling. The sheep that belong to Jesus will hear the voice of their shepherd. This is sometimes referred to as the effectual call, meaning that those whom Jesus calls will respond to him and they will give their lives to Christ. Jesus will lead them out of their peril. But those who do not know the voice of the Good Shepherd will not respond to that calling because the things of God are ignorance to them. We, we pray every week that the Holy Spirit would be working a work that we cannot do. Another metaphor that God uses for those who join Him in the ministry and working towards the mission of the Great Commission is that they are like farmers. Some who sow, some who water, some who till the soil. But there is only one who can cause the seed that is sown to grow. And that is the Lord God Himself. The Holy Spirit must turn a heart towards Jesus Christ. And those whom God has chosen for Himself will listen to Him. They will know the voice of the one who calls them. Those who do not know the voice of their shepherd remain unguarded. They remain unled and uncared for. Do not be surprised when you reach out and many reject. The Scripture has prepared us for this. We cannot turn a heart to Christ but we can preach Him faithfully and show them the heart of Christ the best we can. When you are rejected in ministry, don't lose hope. When you are experiencing hardship and it feels like you haven't had success, 
do not forget that God did not call you necessarily to numerical success. He called you to faithfulness. The ones that know the voice of the Savior will respond to the call. Continue to give that call. Be prepared to encounter failure in ministry. There will be seasons in your life when you feel like you're having so little success in leading people to Christ, it might even make you wonder if God has gifted you at all. There will be trials and difficulties. And when that happens, you need to think about Psalm 23. That wonderful psalm that describes how the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He does lead me into green pastures where I might graze and nourish myself. He does lead me beside still waters where there's peace and safety. But the passage goes on to say that he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. There will be difficult seasons as a minister. But the great comfort that we have in those times is not our ability or our skill. It's not our seminary training. It's not our past successes. Our comfort in those times is the rod and the staff of the shepherd who walks with us through those trials. Be prepared to experience those setbacks. Remember in all things that it is not enough for people to know you, Matt, as a shepherd, but that your ministry will be effective in so much as you push people beyond you to the Christ that has saved you and made you who you are today, to the Christ who has called you and has shepherded you so faithfully through your life to this point. A good shepherd makes certain that his aim and goal is to help the sheep know the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. And there is a third reason why the good shepherd is better than the hireling. The good shepherd keeps his sheep together. Verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The good shepherd shepherds his flock completely. He doesn't do a halfway job. This refers in some ways to evangelism. That there is a, a heavy burden for those who are called to be ministers to continually seek those who are lost and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, the hope that we have in Him. I love that Jesus even shows the people here a hint of what's to come as He knows that shortly the gospel message that He's speaking about is going to go out beyond the borders of Israel. It's going to go out into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And soon there will not just be Jewish people sitting in the worship services of the Lord, but soon the Gentile will come as well. God knows everyone that belongs to His flock and God will bring them in and provide for His own. So we are to reach out to those who are not yet in the flock. We cannot be content to just love the ones that God has given us now. We must recognize that there are others that need to hear that preaching, that need to hear that truth, and that God is calling us as under-shepherds, as helpers to the true shepherd to take that message Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, Jesus says. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountaintops and go search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus is the good shepherd. No wolf is going to get into this sheepfold. There is not one of his people that will be lost for eternity 
Jesus will provide for their needs. This means that as under-shepherds, not only do we need to care for the whole flock, not just our church, but the universal church, we also need to care for those in our flock who have gone astray. We need to keep a careful watch on those who at one time professed the Lord Jesus but are not with Him right now. We can't just allow that to be their freedom and watch them walk away if we truly love the sheep and if we truly love the shepherd who has called us to what we are to do, we must pursue those sheep. We must go to them and urge them to return to the place they belong if indeed they do belong to Christ. The good shepherd is our greatest need. Unless one put their faith and trust in the good shepherd, they are without protection. They're without leadership. They're without direction. Jesus provides this for all of his sheep. But the good shepherd in his wise counsel and his perfect will sees fit to enlist others who will join him in the task of shepherding those who belong to him. Returning for a moment to the first passage this morning from Matthew chapter 9. There were two metaphors in that passage we read earlier. Of course, he spoke about the people being like sheep in need of a good shepherd. But after he's described that, he changes the metaphor and we see in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. He begins to speak in agricultural metaphor. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. There are many hearts prepared by God for this harvest. Many souls that God, that God will teach His voice to. There is an urgent need for laborers who would work diligently in this harvest. Only God can cause that true growth, as we've spoken of, real repentance and faith in the hearts of those who were once lost but are now found. It's not entirely in our hands. But He has called us to be a part of this mission, <clears throat> that we might be bearers of the good news, that we might go out and reap the harvest that God has prepared, that in faith we might, we might walk in the mission that God has prepared for us. In His providence, God chooses to enlist people. Matt men like you, to go forward and to do this work. Considering the excellent picture that Jesus painted of himself as the good shepherd, it is incredible honor that here in Matthew 9, God points to this wonderful plan of his church. We see it also in Ephesians 4 where he talks about how God has given to the church gifts in the forms of shepherds, pastors, evangelists, prophets, those who would minister to the needs of his people. What a wonderful honor it is for us to be called shepherds after the pattern of the one good shepherd. While every believer has been called to be a fisher of men, every believer has been given according to 1 Peter 2, a royal priesthood that enables them to serve the Lord and bear testimony to the gospel message, God is pleased to call some to a very special calling. He calls them to a good work and He equips them to do that mighty work. He fills them with the Spirit so that by walking in faithful obedience to the Lord's word, they might fill up the pattern that Christ has set for them by being the good shepherd of John chapter 10. May all the glory and honor and praise for the work that he does in any of our lives continually pass on to Jesus Christ. He is the one who deserves it all. Matt, you have for two years now made your way slowly and faithfully towards this goal of being recognized as a shepherd under the care of the good shepherd. You have studied you have prayed, you've been given opportunities, you've preached God's word, you've discipled other believers, you've counseled God's people, you've encouraged those who are suffering, you've shared the gospel, you've looked after the weak. 
you have been trained up in the work of a true shepherd of the Lord. That training will never end. You still have much to learn, as all of us do. But after much examination and careful, thoughtful prayer, we have reached a point where we, as the church of God, are ready to acknowledge the calling of God in your life. If you would come down and join me up front, Tori, I'm going to bring you up here in a minute, but for right now, I just want to have Matt up here. <clears throat> On February 7th, Matt went before a panel of about 10 ordained men. He gave the account of his testimony, his calling, his doctrine, explained why he believes that he is at a place in his life where he's ready to take on the responsibilities of a shepherd. Upon asking questions and examining Matt, uniformly, the group agreed to recommend him to First Family Church as a man fit for ministry and called to the office of pastor. We reported that recommendation to you. Over the last two weeks, the members of First Family Church were asked to submit their votes, declaring whether they believe, after much prayer and consideration and observation of Matt in his time of testing, that he is ready for this calling. And the answer we received back was a resounding yes. And so today, in obedience to the command of Scripture, we intend to recognize what we believe God is already giving us great evidence of, that Matthew Sherman is fit to serve as a shepherd of God's church. We're going to signify that in a unique way. Formal vows are not something that are often exchanged in today's culture. And for good reason. The scripture of God tells us that we should be very careful not to make vows unless we're absolutely certain that we're dedicated to keeping those vows. But there are occasions where we might take a vow when there's a serious promise that we make before God and other witnesses and that we want to be accountable to. Many of you here today did just that as you committed yourself to love your spouse and to honor them according to God's commands. Marriage is a promise that is sacred to God. And so it is appropriate to express our shared reverence for that promise through the exchange of formal vows. Likewise, uh, a minister who is dedicating himself to the work of God is, is making a lifetime commitment to be available to work in God's field, to look after his sheep. And so the chairman of our elders, Sean Linder, is going to come forward at this time to lead Matt in a series of responsive vows. Now you, the church, play a part in this. As you have voted and affirmed, Matt, uh, at the end of this section of vows, there will be a couple of vows that we're going to ask you to take in obedience to the scripture as you interact with Matt in his position of leadership here. God has instructed his people to honor and to respect the authority that he has imparted to those he has called to lead as elders and pastors. And so there will be an opportunity for the congregation to respond to this formal commitment as well. So Sean, if you would please do the honor of reading these vows, and Matthew is going to, uh, to respond in kind. Matthew Sherman. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and the covenant of this church contained the, contained the truth taught in the Holy Scripture? Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and covenant, you will on your own initiative make known to the pastor and other elders the change which you have taken place in your views 
since your assumption of this vow? Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of First Family Church? Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Have you been induced, as far as you know in your own heart, to accept the office of elder for love of God and sincere desire to promote, promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the professional profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the congregation? Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation? as an elder, to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that First Family Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. The congregation, do you, the members of First Family Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as an elder, as a gift of Christ to this church. They do. Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. We will. At this time, we're going to ask that Tori come down and join us at the front. We also want to invite um, our elders to come forward and to gather around Tori and Matt as we, uh, we pray invocation over them and thank the Lord for what He's doing in their lives. We also want to invite some special guests up as uh, Jack Roberts is going to join us up front. He is our Director of Missions for the Southern Baptist Association in the Costa Mita District. And so he is going to be joining us here as we lay hands on Matt and Tori. And we're also thankful to have Meryl Smoke here. Meryl Smoke is a pastor at Trinity Baptist Church who poured into Matt's life as he was a youth and really helped him develop some of his musical talents and has been a constant presence in his life and in his family uh, as he has served the Lord and grown as a disciple. And so we're all going to gather around Matthew and Tori. We're going to lay hands on them and then we're going to lift them up in a word of prayer. I want to remind you that after we're finished with this prayer, we're going to, dis we're going to have one more song. Uh, the team's going to come up and lead us in another song of worship. Please come back after second service for our reception for Matt. We're going to have some cake and some refreshments and we're going to have a chance for you to leave little notes of encouragement to our brother as he embarks on this next stage of his journey. So let's all bow our heads. And uh, thank the Lord God for what he is revealing to us today. Mighty God, there is none like you. And Father, it is a humbling thing to know that we can come after your example and that in, in, in obedience to your calling, God, in, in correct response to what you have laid upon our hearts, that you would give us a passion and a heart for your people. I thank you, God, that I see that in Matthew. I thank you that as he has served with us, 
He has grown in wisdom. He has grown in commitment to you. That he has developed a great heart for your people. He has shown that the gifts you have given to him do indeed prepare him for this work. That his heart is not just for music, but it is for the gospel. And it is for the sheep that you care so dearly about. I thank you, God, for the education that he has received and ask that you would continually add to it the things that he reads, that you would continually add to it in his daily reading of your word and his pursuit of you in prayer and faithful service. I thank you, God, for Tori and the wonderful light that she is to Matthew. I know the great joy that he has in joining with her in this calling. Uh, the life of a minister, of a, pa- a pastor's wife is not an easy one, God, and so I pray that you would fortify her heart that you would protect her and grant her with wisdom and discernment as well. Help her to know how she can be a great support to Matt and help Matt to know how he can sensitively lead her and protect her in this difficult journey of of ministry. Father, we pray that every roadblock that lies ahead of Matt, that we would recognize you know it already. That, Father, you have numbered each of our days and there is no surprise that you are caught off guard by. So in every time Matthew encounters tragedy and trial and and conflict and setbacks in ministry, ministry, God, that you would turn his heart to you, that you would lift his soul in the great truth that you love him dearly, that your love is the love that matters. And I praise you, God, that as we watch him grow and watch him develop, Lord, that we'll continue to sing the songs of praise that you've put on our hearts together. God, let us be a good church to him. I pray, Father, that we would help to pray for him diligently, that we would not expect him to do these things on his own strength, but that we would be advocates for your power and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through him. I pray, God, that you would bless him with people who are seeking the truth. God, that you would put people in his life that are confused about the gospel so that he might minister to them, Lord. And I pray that he would experience great joy as he points them to you, the good shepherd. There is no one like you, Lord God. Your plan is perfect. You know exactly what you are doing. And so I ask, God, that you would help our hearts to rejoice as you bring us into this mission that is so eternally important this mission of seeking to save those who are lost so they might experience eternity in heaven with you. I praise you, God, for the work you're doing in that, and I ask that you would help us to continue to rejoice as we watch you work in and through his life. And we pray this all in the most powerful and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.